Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So uh, in my work, I work at Facebook on personalized videos. We do a lot of work around internationalization. Uh-huh. And it's really, it's really fascinating how many assumptions all of us walk around with that come from our language and our culture that when you encounter 50 other locales that you need to make a product for, all of a sudden you find all of these basic assumptions like text flows from left to right, etc. Uh, challenged. And we're going to talk a little bit about about that, but in the context of machine learning uh, with regard to language. I'm really excited about this one. Yeah, me too. Okay, you're listening to Linear Digressions. Yeah, so like you said, this is an episode about bias with respect to language, and it's kind of a feel-good episode. I was really tickled uh, when you sent me this paper to check out uh, a few days ago. So there's a paper that's called man is to computer programmer as woman is to homemaker question mark debiasing word embeddings um and we'll have a link to this on our website uh per usual and maybe uh should i introduce i i can read the tweet that i found which led me to this paper which led me to send it to you oh please which is uh alex shams tweeted Turkish is a gender-neutral language. There's no he or she. Everything is just oh. But look what happens when Google translates to English. And so it's a whole, it's a translation of a whole bunch of different professions. And uh, I can just read the English side of it. She is a cook. He is an engineer. He is a doctor. She is a nurse. He is a cleaner. He, she is a police uh, so some of them are a little bit strange. Uh, but if you look on the left-hand side, uh, it's oh, beer, this, oh, beer, that, oh, beer, that. And there's no gender embedded in it. So if there's no gender embedded in the in the source string, in the original uh, text, then what happens when you kind of have to coerce this Turkish sentence into English, a language that uh, generally requires uh, gender, or at least colloquially often requires gender? Well, it it requires gender. And then the thing that's particularly striking to me about that, too, is the the bias that you hear or that's implicit in in the way that it's translating it. So that's even called out in the title of the paper, man is to computer programmer as woman is to homemaker, uh, where I think we all would acknowledge that there are many great computer programmers who are women, and there are many great men who stay home and uh, take care of the household. And so the idea that a computer could be translating those terms with, in a way that's very gender biased in the way that I just said, is a little bit troubling. What's also interesting is uh, some of the, like, there, there was one other example that uh, stood out to me. Uh, a lot of these things like she is a cook, he is an engineer, are kind of your run-of-the-mill gender bias uh, that often gets talked about, but the the one the one that uh, I didn't expect to see is there's she is embracing her, and he does not embrace it. Oh, interesting. And so in in the she case, she is embracing her, a woman embracing another woman. He does not embrace it, a man not embracing a thing. Like it's just it's interesting to to, I don't know, philosophize on what all of this says about the, the bias in the, in what was uh, almost certainly the training set for this algorithm. 
Well, yeah. So let's actually talk about the the way that these word embeddings happen. And then mm-hmm. stick with me through this because it's, it's going to get a little bit discouraging in the sense that, you know, at some point you think like, man, maybe... Maybe the problem is just society, right? But, um, but you said this was a feel-good episode. Yeah, they figured out... Well, okay, I'm going to save that for the end. Yeah, okay. First. <laughs> yes. Sounds good. All right, so, so hit me with yes. the bad news. <laughs> so what these researchers did was they used a word-to-vec embedding that we get from a bunch of newspaper articles that Google trained on. And so we've had other episodes about word-to-vec. I don't want to go deeply into the algorithm here, but the general idea is that Language is a very high-dimensional space. There's tens of thousands of words that we use. And in general, you don't want 10,000-dimensional inputs into something like a machine learning algorithm. And so Word2Vec is an algorithm for reducing the dimensionality of text data sets down to typically something like 300 or so dimensions might be typical. And so you end up with similar words grouped in similar places. And so you can do operations uh, on on it that way. Right. So each word in this uh, word-to-vec space is now a vector. And the thing that's kind of cool is that you can do vector algebra on these vectors, and you can come up with basically analogies. So some common analogies and ones that I think make a lot of sense are things like if you take the vector that's associated with Paris – And then you subtract out the vector that's associated with France. Mm -hmm. You add in the vector that's associated with Italy. You end up with, any guesses? Rome? Yep. Yeah. Nice. So so there's there's a relationship of a capital city to its country, which is represented in the vector space. And so you can do vector math to kind of figure out these different things. Right, right. And so that's crazy. Another so another analogy that again is probably not super troubling is it'll say something like man is to woman as king is to queen. Mm, Yeah. Sure. And what it's basing these on is the patterns that it sees in the language usage in in this case a bunch of news articles. So this is based on the way that people are writing about things in the world. So very often there'll be things like in a sentence where it talks about a queen, it'll use feminine pronouns. So it associates some concept maybe of gender with the idea that someone is a queen versus a king. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what I meant a little bit when I said it comes back to society is it's like, how do we write about our society and how do we describe our society and that you end up having these descriptions of, we'll take the example of gender bias, but it's, you could make a similar argument for racial bias or any other kind of bias. Um, the idea that the problems and the inequalities that we have in our society get picked up in the language because our language is talking about society. And then computers learn those patterns in the language. Of course, they don't have any moral or ethical you know, <laughs> interpretation of them the way that we do. But it can be pretty problematic. Uh, you know, the example that you gave with the Turkish translation, I don't know, it's it's not great, but it's hard to see how that would be a huge problem, maybe. Mm-hmm. But in this paper, they called out another example that might be that might be a little bit closer to home. So imagine a scenario in which computer programmers are more closely associated with men than with women because of right. just this representation that it has. So then if you're doing a Google search and you're looking for something like well, let's say computer science, uh, because it's kind of similar to computer programming, right? 
Um, so computer science, again, closer to men than to women. And let's say that you're doing a Google search for computer science graduate students at a certain college. Well, it might see that the pages that are associated with male students, it thinks are a better fit for mm. computer science graduate student. And hmm. so it'll turn those pages up first. And so if you're doing a Google search, you'll get all the guys before you start getting the girls. Oh, that's gross. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Like, I I guess there was a piece of, there, there was a part of my brain that was thinking, okay, like, you know, translation, that's obviously a problem, but because it's representing it's it's representing the sexism that's that's interwoven in our in our society but this is a very that's a very concrete example of a of a way that not only is it a negative thing to see or maybe a discouraging thing to see if you're a woman who's in computer science uh but actually something that can reinforce itself yes absolutely and so that's a very clearly on the minds of the folks who are writing this paper is, you know, how can we try to guard against computers effectively reinforcing and reproducing these problems? And so the question for them is, is there some way that we can de-bias these word pairs that we could perform mm. some kind of manipulation in the vector space that makes it so that it doesn't associate computer programmers more with men and homemakers more with women? in a more general sense to try to su subtract the sexism from the either the training data that you're working with or the algorithm that you ultimately produce. Yeah, yeah. And this is a little bit of a harder problem. Well, first of all, maybe it just seems like a hard problem to begin with. But this is a particularly hard problem, in my opinion, because, well, let me tell you about a naive representation or a naive way to do it. Uh -huh. So what you can do is you can look at the vector representation of your words, and there's probably going to be one of the dimensions or a few dimensions in that representation that you can interpret as being associated with gender. So it's the direction that makes king and queen different. Kings and queens are pretty similar with everything except, except gender. Um, if you see the word man and the word woman, like those are really similar in most ways, except with respect to gender. And so what you can do, if you can figure out that gender dimension, you can just subtract it off of all of the words that you have, or you can somehow normalize them so that they oh. don't have any variance in that direction. And so you're kind of taking all gender out of everything <laughs> or something like this, like with math, <laughs> by just like doing the vector subtraction. Uh, interesting. Yeah. And so that's... That's a little bit of the starting point, um, but there's some stuff that's not great about that way of formulating it. I, I, I just want to draw a comparison that's popped into my head, actually, uh, briefly, which is this almost feels like you try to isolate a particular thing in a genome and you find the gene that causes uh, baldness or something, and then you... Uh, you mitigate it by by you know fixing the gene or something like that. But pro possibly or probably, I would I would guess that the reality is actually m much more complicated than there just being a single dimension or a couple specific dimensions that have to do with gender only and not other things. Well, I th I'm not sure how much that is. Well, that's sort of a problem. Yeah. So the way that I would say it actually is. Uh, 
gender differences are not necessarily in and of themselves a problem, yeah. <laughs> right? So the question that they really wrestle with, and they use a lot of uh, studies with like Amazon Mechanical Turk, for example, to try to get some data around this, is what's the difference between a legitimate gender difference and what we would call a biased gender difference? Mm. So the king and queen example, you might say, yeah, that's showing some gender difference, but at least to me, that's not the kind of thing that I think of as particularly troubling. Or here's another example. Um, women carry purses and men more typically might carry briefcases. Hey, Again, the purse is fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, lightly stereotypical, but less problematic to me than yeah. maybe, you know, computer programmer and homemaker, right? Yeah. Or, or, gosh, what are some of the other great examples that they have? There's a lot of professional ones. And then there's also a lot about how people are described. So they might describe women as, like, kind or nurturing. And men might be ambitious and courageous. These kinds of things. Anyway. Yeah. Those strike me as a little bit more troubling than, you know, high heels versus wingtips, right? So... The problem then is, can we disentangle the the bias gender direction from just the genders are different sometimes direction? And so what the way that they describe this mathematically is that if we introduce the idea of a dimension that's kind of the gender dimension, then some of the things that dimensions can do is they can have shape to them and they can have, in particular, warps. To, to them, so to speak. So what they say is that let's imagine that bias is a warp on the gender space and it affects certain types of words. Uh, and huh. we want to identify like those problematic, the, the stereotypical, the, the biased terms and try to just subtract out while leaving the rest of the different representations alone. And so that's the part oh. that they call this hard debiasing. And the math behind it is something that I didn't really have a chance to read enough to sometimes you have to read this three or four times to understand it. I only got through it like once or twice. Um, so we'll <laughs> post a link to the paper. And for yeah. those who are really intrigued by this, um, I'll encourage you to go check it out yourself. But they introduced the idea of this hard debiasing, you know, kind of correction for the warping in the gender dimension. And then after they do that hard debiasing, they come up with new pairs of words where instead of computer programmer and a homemaker, well, they had a good example. It was, a, I think, like softball and football. Like softball is the women's sport and football is the is the men's sport. Um, and then after they had done the debiasing, the closest analogies for softball and football were pitcher and footballer. So now it wasn't associating them with men and women. It was associating them with different types of positions that people play on those teams which is just a different way of formulating it, which is kind of cool. So you kind of measure the the bias in some of these analogies and these word pairs before you do the hard debiasing. Then you do the hard debiasing, you're kind of unwarping process. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then you evaluate it again. And they found that, um, again, using Mechanical Turk uh, volunteers, they removed a lot of the of the bias from their data set without kind of losing some of the overall structure that they wanted to keep. That's really interesting. I, uh, I guess I've always, I, I, I wouldn't have thought of bias as 
as a warp as much as a thing. It it feels like bias in our society is an actual thing, but it's actually a warping of what we already have. And so we can't remove it as if it's a thing. It's almost like we need to correct the substrate that it lives in by warping back in the other direction. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a piece of mathematical analogy that happens to it gives you good results. Let me put it that way. I, I don't yeah. think you should think about it too literally, but, but yeah, it is interesting to think about, uh, you know, yeah. How do you maintain the idea that sometimes there's just differences between different groups of people while still, uh, holding yourself to a high standard with, with respect to not being biased with about those groups. So it, that's why I think it's kind of a feel good story is number one, that, yeah. they, that they got it to work. Uh, you know, I, I started to read this article and I thought it was just going to be another one of these, like, yeah, computers are sexist. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah, there's but, a lot of those stories. So they figured out, you know, a clever way to formulate the problem and got it to work. And that also, you know, yeah, they were able to find a, a way to disentangle kind of like the bad bias from the, you know, just things are different sometimes kind of way of thinking of things, which I think is really... Uh, made me smile nice i feel hopeful well good so uh one more time man is to computer programmer as woman is to homemaker debiasing word embeddings we will have a, a yes. link to this on lineardigressions.com and then there's a pretty good write-up in i think the mit technology review that's a, a little bit more readable we'll include that one as well Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.